Welcome to our sermon podcast here at City of Light Anglican Church. We are a new church in Aurora, Illinois, finding a new day in Jesus. We want to see the light of Jesus rise and shine in our hearts, in our homes, and in our neighborhoods. Thanks for joining us for today's message. And uh, it is uh, really a, a privilege to be able to speak to you here on our second Sunday of Advent. And, uh, you know, as, as Trevor, um, Father Trevor was saying this morning, Advent is a wonderful time of uh, celebrating and waiting. And uh, as we prepare for and celebrate Christmas, we are reminded of how light came into darkness into the darkness of our world to make all things new. A lot of our prayers this morning, we're focusing on that, orienting our thinking towards what is to come. Because in Advent, we're reminded that we are transformed by the light of God, which is Jesus himself, so that we can be beacons of light in darkness. Uh, One of my uh, favorite family traditions that we have uh, is every Christmas day, um, late in the evening, uh, our family will climb into the car after sitting around in our pajamas. Actually, I think we usually leave our pajamas on um, and climb into the car uh, and you know brave the cold after a cozy day by the fire and um, hanging out all day and eating sweet things um, and drive over to the east side of Aurora uh, to historic Leonard's Avenue, um, which if, if it, none of you have ever uh, done that before, um, it's just this really quaint little street over on the east side uh, that, that all these houses since the 1950s have, um, like they put up these signs with lights and they decorate their houses and they have, you know, plastic, really gaudy plastic figurines, these huge life-size um, uh, figures, uh, the shepherds and the magi and all of these, um, all these figures. And you just get to drive down the street and recount Uh, the gospel story. We need more light in our darknesses. And and I love driving down that street, and and I love making sure that I can participate in this too. Now, I am no Clark Griswold, uh, but I do uh, make a habit every year of setting up my lights. Um, They're tastefully simple. They're always white. They're never LED. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I take some pride in, I guess, the, the simplicity of, of the way that I set that up. Um, this year, I actually had the foresight of uh, checking each of the strands before I put them up on the, the gutters, um, which was actually really, so I, I don't usually do that. And this year, I, I, there was something that said, I, you know, I should probably check this out. And it was really great because um, I realized that I had two strands that were, like, not working. Um, I use like the, the, the icicle kinds, right? So there's like parts of it that would work and parts of it that wouldn't. And um, now, I, this, this probably won't surprise some of you, but I, I am actually one of those people who saves the little packet of extra bulbs and fuses. Um, so imagine uh, me going through bulb by bulb, wiggling and jiggling, and then looking and seeing if I could find the broken filament. And, uh, and lo and behold, I, I was able to repair most of the strands. But there was one of them that no matter how many bulbs I wiggled and jiggled and and no matter how many bulbs I tried to replace, I just couldn't get it to come back on. The strand was dead. 
I had to pull it out of this, the, the longer strand of, of things. I had to make an extra trip to Home Depot to pick up a replacement strand. And I left it all the one sitting there on, on the ground while I did the, the rest. And, and as I was uh, thinking about that, that experience preparing for the sermon, I, I had this time, like, what, what, if, what if when I was up on the ladder, you know, setting up everything else, that, that strand that had looked dead was on the, that was on the ground, what if it suddenly started glowing? Right? That, that would be, like, totally mind-blowing, right? Imagine what my shock would be. I'd probably fall off the ladder or something. It would be, it would be a miracle. That's the kind of miracle that Isaiah is describing in the prophetic passage that we read this morning. See, God's people had been surviving in this dark place and just waiting for divine intervention. They were in a place where they were desiring freedom from the exploitation and oppression of an invading kingdom. They were waiting for justice at both the highest and lowest conditions of men. They were yearning for equality for the marginalized. They were looking for light in the darknesses of these wide, uh, big, far-reaching problems. But they were also looking for smaller kinds of light and smaller personal darknesses, relief from depression, the grief and suffering from illnesses and death, the weariness of mind, I'm sure, that was uh, coming along by being assaulted by the competing demands of an oppressive culture. God's ancient people of Israel are not that unlike us. And they were waiting for light in darkness. They were waiting for life to come out of their deadness, just like many of we are. Uh, the, The term advent literally means to come to arrive. And we are waiting, aren't we? We are waiting for Jesus to come into our daily lives, to show up, to advent into our challenging seasons and ultimately one day to come again and initiate a new creation. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what Isaiah meant when he describes the person and work of Messiah in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Uh, Isaiah actually begins that chapter by describing for us who the Messiah is. And he uses kind of an odd image, a shoot coming up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Uh, Now, at first, this might seem kind of strange, except for those of you who went to our Jesse Tree Workshop last weekend, uh, you kind of got an inside peek on what was going on here, and you probably begin to understand this image at a really deep level. Uh, tree symbolism is really familiar to us. We talk about family trees uh, as a way to talk about heritage and, and uh, things living on. Um, and this is true with Isaiah as well, except here the family tree isn't just for one family. It was for the entire nation of Israel. And in the image that Isaiah gives us, it has, the, the nation of Israel has all but been completely destroyed. It's, it's just a stump. And it is, spiritually speaking, essentially dead. Maybe you're sitting here this morning feeling a little, a little dead. Perhaps you come from a family tree that has been cut off from God. Maybe you didn't grow up in the church and you are seeking for 
some light, and you're seeking for some growth and new life uh, in your life. Or maybe you did grow up in the church, but over the last few years, your few years, your branch seems to have uh, been drying up because it's no longer drawing life, drawing life from the source of the tree. Or maybe you're part of God's family. Maybe you attend here regularly. But in the rush of life, responsibilities of work and family, the competing demands of materialism and spiritualism, maybe the effects of seasonal depression or a persistent unconfessed sin, Maybe something is kind of constricting that and squeezing you off and making you feel spiritually dead. Advent reminds us that there is a miraculous promise of good news for us. Even today, just like God's people who are waiting for it, there is a miraculous good news, a gospel available for us today. See, God is the creator and sustainer of all life. From the beginning, God has been making something from nothing. He has been putting life where there is not life. Think back to the the first moments of creation. God spoke. And the first act of creation was to create light. Let there be light in the darkness. And from that, all other creation, all life followed. Light in the darkness. Life from its lack. And we, as created but fallen beings, have been needing and longing for more and more of this light and life. More justice, more righteousness, more peace, more connection with other humans, more faith, more hope ever since that time in the garden when things went awry. And God has been at work ever since creating this plan to restore life. See, Isaiah was giving this prophecy thousands of years before Jesus came around. And and he was speaking not only to that time when Jesus would come as a baby on the time that we celebrate as Christmas, but he's also promising a time that Jesus will come now, again, thousands of years later, and we're still waiting for that second coming. Isaiah knows that we are longing for this, and he concludes his prophetic vision, uttered in this really beautiful poetry, with a powerful promise that in that day, this day in the future, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, the nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. This is what the people of God had been waiting for. And it's what we are still waiting for right now. Already, the work has begun as an episode in the past. An Advent or Christmas is a time for us to celebrate the miracle of of our adoption into the family of God because we gathered here in this room, none of us, I I don't think, from Jewish descent, so we gathered in this room are the peoples that Isaiah was talking about. We are the ones who have been rallied to the banner that is the root of Jesse, Jesus. But still, there's waiting to be done. 
for we are not yet in the glorious resting place. Where we still endure the stress of broken families at gatherings. Festives, you know, festivities that are supposed to be fun that end up being stressful. We still have the frustration of increased electric bills to pay for all the lights that we put on our houses. And there are still more peoples from the nations to be rallied around. See, the heart of the Christmas story and the powerful emphasis of Advent, the already but not yet, is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, Isaiah says that Messiah will know all our heartaches and weaknesses from the smallest anxiety of wondering if you're going to get that certain gift that you've been hoping for to the bigger anxieties of how you're going to pay for those gifts for your family or food or breaking the habit of a sin. Jesus knows our heartaches and weaknesses. And Isaiah depicts why it matters so much that he does. Because in that middle section, verses 6 through 9, Isaiah is telling us about what Messiah does. So he begins by telling us who Messiah is, but then he tells us what Messiah does or will do, how he dwells with us to make all things new. Now, I I don't know about you, but as as we were reading that passage this morning, have you ever wondered why, of all the possible images that Isaiah could give us to understand what's going on and what's to come, that he would give us a picture of, wolves and lambs together, and leopards and goats, and calves and lions with bears, and children playing with venomous snakes. Like, of, of all the things that Isaiah could, could capture, why that imagery? I've been thinking about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. And, and I've been struck by how Isaiah's poetry is really designed to give us an image of the new earth that will exist as part of God's new creation. This is going all the way back to the promise that we see set before us in Genesis. See, Christmas, the first advent, wasn't really the first time that God chose to dwell with humanity. And every advent reminds us that we are waiting for the restoration of that garden place where God dwelled with Adam and Eve, that we're waiting for him to dwell with us again in that same intimacy. We're waiting for that renewed garden space, that Eden, that place where God with his first creation chose to dwell with humanity in deep intimacy. And Advent reminds us of that first time. And at the same time, it reminds us of the second time that God chose to dwell with humanity, when he came as Jesus, Emmanuel. And it reminds us of the promise of the third time that God will dwell with humanity in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the delight of new creation. This kind of humanity at peace with, or communicating with, or communing with the natural order is something that I think speaks very deep to our human imagination. The author C.S. Lewis knew it. 
He built an entire children's story around it, right? He created an entire world populated by talking beasts in his Chronicles of Narnia. And he built an entire redemptive story arc, which in some ways seems to be, the, the point of it seems to be for humans and talking beasts to be reunited in friendship and communion. I think it provides a really powerful symbol of the restoration and reordering of all things. But this isn't just of imagination of a bygone era. This is a symbol that is somehow still appealing to us today. I don't know how many of you watched either you know, football or parades during Thanksgiving, and, and how many of you saw multiple commercials for this Dr. Doolittle movie. I, I kept thinking, I'm like, it really? Is this, is this really a movie that needs to be remade? Or actually, actually re-remade? <laughs> I don't know if you count the Eddie Murphy version or not. Um, like, how, how is it that, that film companies think that they can make money on this? What is Robert Downey Jr. thinking after coming off of the success of his you know, career in the MCU to come into Dr. Doolittle? But really, it made me think, like, what questions, what longings are we feeling that such a story has any appeal at all, any value at all to us today in our materialistic, technology-saturated culture? I mean, what is it about a person who can talk to the animals that seems even remotely inspiring, that even fills us with any sense of meaning or hope? I think it's surprising that, that even today we're picking up on the, the, the heartache that, that Isaiah was speaking to. You know, it's interesting that the author of Dr. the Dr. Doolittle series, it was originally, it wasn't originally a movie, it was actually originally a children's book series, um, Hugh Lofting. He actually began writing the stories in the letters that he was writing to his children sitting in the trenches during World War I. He would write these letters home to his children from the darkest dehumanizing experience of the human condition, sitting on the front lines of a war. And this dreamer delighted in the vision of a world in which man and beast could communicate and enjoy a peaceful coexistence a fulfilling interdependence. I doubt that the movie executives were thinking about this. But I think it's really powerful that God knows the kind of imagery that we need to show us that the work of God's Messiah, Jesus, is to initiate new creation now. To bring light and life into our personal darknesses and the larger darknesses we experience as peoples, as nations, as a human species. You know, the... The problem with darkness is that it distorts our perceptions of things, such that our fears un are go unchecked and are able to torment us. It's like, like a child fearing what appears to be a monster in the bedroom, and when the, the light floods the bedroom, it reveals the true nature of all things, diminishing the monster back to the ball cap hanging on the chair back. You know this feeling, right? How in the darkness of night, our minds race. The lack of clarity fills our hearts with fear, but the clarity of reality, the clarity, the illumination of lights puts our fears to rest. 
And so the light of God, which is Jesus, inhabits a dark world, which is distorted by our fears, our interior worlds, distorted by our own desires and our judgments of other people, and our external world in, in which there is corruption of justice and purpose and equality. And Jesus enters that and heals our distorted perspective and allows us to know the truth of things as they actually are. No longer misjudging the created world, no longer seeing work as meaningless toil or spiders as terrors or toothy beasts as mere predators. No longer misjudging our fellow humans by race, nationality, political views, or creed. The promise of new creation is that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. And the promise that we will be able to enter his glorious resting place, this new creation. Uh, the Anglican pastor, Tom Wright, explained it this way. The foundation of all biblical visions of God's purposes for the world and how they are to be implemented is that the creator God wants his world to be aflame with his glory. Which means, among other things, full of true justice and generous mercy. The great, massive Advent moment is still to come in the future. The one day when the God who created the world will flood it with his glory, transforming it so that it thrills and throbs with his love, his justice and peace. But this is not just a vision for a far-off distant time. From Genesis 1 onwards, it's clear that the creator God wants to rule his world through wise, image-bearing human beings. And part of the point of the resurrection in the Gospels is that in the risen Jesus, God has already launched his new creation. For Jesus himself is both the start of the new creation and the Lord who gives his own spirit so that his people can continue the project. So in Advent, we are reminded that we are part of this story, that we are transformed by this light, which is Christ himself, which is Jesus, so that we can be beacons of light in the darkness of this world. In a sense, Advent reminds us of a fourth time that God dwells with humanity. Now, through the Holy Spirit and the church, after all, we are city of light, right? Because we are a people filled and transformed by the light of Jesus himself. Those of us who heed the words of John the Baptist that we read in Matthew 3, those of us who repent, who confess our sins and get baptized or renew our baptism every week at the fonts, as we join the communion of saints at the feast laid out for us on this table, we are, in the words of Paul, grafted in to the tree that grows from the shoot that was connected to the root that God himself sustains. If you feel that you've been cut off from God, that you are just a dead stump, know that there is a living tree sprung up from the root of Jesse waiting for you to be grafted in. 
Jesus stands as a point of entry so that you can be grafted into this glorious experience, this resting place that is to come, and also this feast and communion that's here now in God's church. We are invited to bask in the glorious richness of God's light, to soak it up and be transformed by it and be light bearers for others. And so people of this city of light, during this Advent season, may I just say this blessing over you. May the light of Jesus scatter all darkness from your path. And may you be a beacon that points to Jesus, who stands as a banner for other peoples. For the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will Thanks for listening to this podcast from City of Light Anglican Church. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us online at cityoflightanglican.org. And now, may the light of Jesus scatter the darkness from before your path.